the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to Episode 9 of Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have noted mixologist Warren Bobro with us. We are going to talk about... um, cannabis, mixology, all sorts of wonderful things in between. As you know, it's always a conversation, and that conversation is always educational. So thanks for joining us. Warren, thanks for being on here today. It's fantastic. You know, this is turning into a really, it's a a smile in the midst of of chaos. So it does offer me something that that is uh, sorely needed right now. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, me too. It's good to see your face. I'm glad we're doing this on video, especially with all this. Well, I don't like to say social distancing because I'm trying to be social, but the physical distancing, it's it's really hard on everybody. Yeah, we are very social people. And even though I, I work for myself and I do most of my work when I'm not traveling right here at my desk where I am right now, so I'm accustomed to working in a secluded place. It's it's not surprising to me. My office isn't all that large. So I'm accustomed to it. But for people who are more type A personalities and like getting out and about all the time and seeing people and doing things, it's going to be really difficult. Yeah, yeah. I um I was actually just talking to somebody the other day about it. Um, when I was going through cancer treatment and then getting better afterwards, I, well, I, I'm a, I'm an introvert with extrovert tendencies or uh, by at heart. So like, but it was hard then just being alone and being at home. I mean, I, I still get visitors though, but you feel kind of like yeah. Rip Van Winkle. And then now it's like people can't, like we had a friend who came to help us the other day, just put up a door and we're like, sorry, thanks for helping. And sorry, we can't invite you in, but you're like looking at him like, I want you to come in for coffee and I want to give you a hug. You know, but you can't, but no. you can't, and we you know, we just have to pay attention. That's all. I think we have to be mindful. Yeah, yeah. Of what it is, and and when I, I just took a, a long walk, and while I was out on the walk, I discovered that many of the people that I came across gave me a wide berth. Yeah. Because you know it, I, I don't want to bring into effect the uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but <laughs> yeah, it really is in a kind of way. You know, it's uh, I I live, you know five miles from New York City and is total carnage there and it mm. could be two worlds but you can imagine that it's it is like a scene out of Monty Python the Holy Grail because it really is happening in in real life and in real time and you know we're connected by our smartphones and you can choose to live in a vacuum or in a tunnel but uh, it really is going on so those of us who are empaths you know I, I try not to be but I can't help it. And I know what's going on and it's not that far away. And, you know, there's a major uh, hospital just a mile and a half away from here. And, you know, there's just terrible things. I, I try, I try to keep things into perspective. And, uh, and that's, so I, uh, I was saying to my wife that I possibly, she should buy a lottery ticket because she stands a better chance of getting, hitting that lottery. And if she hits that lottery, now we know that that the that the numbers are right. <laughs> yeah, true. I know it's uh, Jeff and I have been a hold up here in our place, and um, you know it's easy to it's easy to get into your own little cave and your own little rhythm. But I think one of the jarring things is like once once every week and a half I've been going out to pick up supplies at the grocery store, right. and just feeling people's 
especially last week, feeling people's anxiety mm-hmm. and, you know, do you try to smile at people and keep your distance, but also be supportive and just, reassuring. Just be, be cognizant. Yeah, exactly. Cognizant. Yeah, that, that was, I, I th- after I got home from that, I had to have a good little cry, pull myself back together and just, you know, because the thing that frightens me is just all the people who are at risk. Um, and, and we've already, you know, we're already lost a lot of people already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pe- people who are really deserving of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And that's, I think one of the things that I found disturbing on social media, somebody, um, who's in the cannabis community was talking about, you know, that it was, it was nature and it was survival of the fittest. And I was like, I, mm. I don't I think I would associate with quiet. you. Yeah. Time to stay quiet. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm going to snooze you for a little bit and hopefully Mm -hmm. you'll reassess what you're thinking. You know, I I don't mean to live life through Facebook, but I've really made an effort to to call out, you know, certain certain individuals who feel that it's their God given right to come to my page and tell me what they think about their Lord and master. Yeah. And uh, I've called the I've done done a calling and I will continue to. And uh, I don't feel badly about it because I it's my page and it's it's my world and they're my friends and many of them I know in you know in real life. And I and I, I don't want to appear to be uh, bitter or angry. I just cut them free. Yeah. They, there are other places for them to go and it's not with me. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing too because when you're hearing things that are upsetting on social media, it's it can be jarring and you can you take it away with you. Yeah, and you and yeah. you got to let it go. Uh-huh. Because Absolutely. I'm always Absolutely. amazed at how people can be behind a screen. Well, yeah, uh, but they're also tightly hinged and uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, tightly wound. So I try not to antagonize them that much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're good because uh, my fiance Jeff likes to likes to talk back, and then he blocks them. <laughs> oh yeah, I, well I do that too. I I usually tell them uh, how how public is this? I usually tell them to go fuck themselves, and then I tell them to, to you know die <laughs> die in a fire or something. I mean, uh, it's really awful, but <laughs> I can't believe I said that. <laughs> you know, I I I get, it's just it's really charged. I I told somebody the other week. I was like, well, I hope you continue to prove your point by licking doorknobs. Tell yeah, me how or that the, goes. Or that, or that young man who was uh, on Twitter and he was licking toilets. Oh, I mean, that's a, kink, that's a kink in itself. Why would he do that? I mean, please, <laughs> right. I don't even want to go there. But he, but he did. And he contracted. He was on a, like some sort of dare. And they, then he contracted the coronavirus. And suddenly his Twitter feed went down. You know, it was take, suspended. Oh. <laughs> you know, dude, grow up. Man. <laughs> you know, first, I don't even want to go there. Why is he doing that in the first place? Yeah, why would you? You wouldn't have done it anyway. Really? Well, I mean, unless that is your thing. Unless that's your thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, life in the time and of that Corona. Is, that is, you know, I, I wanted him to be from like Miami Beach or something. I don't know. Oh, my so, God. I know. Not that, not that that's a bad place, but there's some really weird shit that goes on there. Yeah. It's interesting times, man. Yeah. Has... Like, you saw our, uh, the guy who ran for governor of Florida. It, the sort of um, it it left the the uh, the news cycle. Gillum. Oh no, I don't think I saw he, that. He was caught in a hotel room with two uh, male escorts. One uh-huh. of them 
his heart stopped because he was taking methamphetamine. And the other one was, uh, you know, uh, incapacitated to some extent. And Gillum was caught in the bathroom throwing up. So he's, he's not with his wife. And he's with two gay escorts in a hotel room at a very ritzy hotel on, you know, on Miami Beach. <laughs> it's a place to be. Yeah, it's a place to be, I guess. <laughs> I guess I'm, not, I'm not living a wild enough life. Neither am I. Boy. Jeez. And they always say that Californians are strange. can't make this shit up. I mean, <laughs> I, at least, you know, if you want to get caught, be with one guy, but, you know, not two. Please. Sorry, I Cut off your picture. I apologize. Oh, oh no, you're you're fine. No, well, I mean, it's with everything that goes on in the world. It's like y- you don't have to make stuff up. The truth is yeah. is stranger than fiction. Honestly, this stranger than fiction, absolutely. Especially in what I do, because I came out of class, you know, classical liquor, and the the people that I've made cocktails for over the you know the past decade run the gamut of blue jeans to black tie, and everything in between. You know, I taught at the Moscow Bar Show in Russia. And got an invitation to make cocktails at the top of the FSB building, which is like their national security administration. And my uh, my cell phone has never been the same ever since then. It when it geotags, it geotags China and Russia. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's really funny. And I'm uh, I'm white Russian. Uh huh. My um, my family came here. I don't know from what I know in the uh, 1800s, and then some of them were left behind until the 1940s. And my grandfather's cousin uncle something like that was hung as a partisan wow yeah by the nazis so so when i went to russia and i came to through customs and i had a letter from the head of my company which was a russian company Uh that, that i should be let through the first thing he said to me in perfect english with these eyes you know like steel gray eyes looking at me he said welcome back (gasps) yeah it was really it was really wild. And I didn't know about my family until I came back because my grandmother lived to be about 105 years old. And she had a chance to tell me uh-huh. uh, because she asked me, why would I go back there? She said, why would you go there? Yeah. And I didn't know why I would. I was working, you know, I was, went to teach at the Moscow Bar Show. And, you know, I, I didn't realize the deeper you know, family connection with with being in Russia and my family member who was hung for, you know, for for fighting against the Nazis. And it was it was just really profound because when I came back and she explained it to me, she said, well, you know, it was your grandfather's uncle or whatever who was who was hung. And that's why, you know, because the people who are in power today in in Russia are white Russian and my Mm -hmm. family's white white Russian. And it's a very, very well-known name. My family goes back to the 1300s and it's really a straight, straight line. You know, I can trace it all back. And it's, so I didn't know it at the time. No one would tell No one told me. Yeah. They, they, why would they tell me? You know, I didn't have any, any business there, but when I announced that I was going there, the first thing she said was, why would you go there? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's it's funny how older generations they they hold the history, but they don't necessarily, especially when there's trauma around it, share it. Mm, no, absolutely. You know, why, why would why would they? Yeah, uh, my family, they're neighbors of yours. They're Finland. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Finland is very interesting, you know, and that and the the history is is really really in World War II especially yeah because because of the german uh, sub bases were all in the, the i guess a, there's a direct coastal 
symmetry from northern Germany right out to the Atlantic, and it runs past Finland and Norway and Sweden and all that. Yeah, it goes straight straight out to the Atlantic. That's wild. My uh, my grandfather used the submarines. Jeez, my grandfather used to say that Finland was was the only country to, or the first country to pay back all their debts from World War II. Yes, probably. But you know, that's the sisu for you. Yeah, but they were. I don't. They. I don't think they were neutral. No, and actually, there was some controversy because. They had, sided with the with Germany. Yeah, and they had uh, they had people who had fled Russia through the pogroms, right? And then right. and and, and they, they were given up. Yeah, <laughs> and so they had to they yeah. had to actually fight side by side with the Germans, which was really hard because these were all Jewish folks, right? And that was a huge. I mean, talk about a rock in a hard place. Mm-hmm. Yep, but we try to to do better. And to uh, to lead by example, and to well, you know to just excel at our at our craft and our art and what, what makes us happy. Well, and I think that you know a lot of that has to do with critical thought and compassion and and relaying these histories so that we truly can say never again. I don't think that's possible right now. I would it's love not. to say that it's not. I was just out in Portland, Oregon, and uh, that's a really frightening place. Even though I love it and the weed is amazing. And the people that I meet are, are exceptional, and and I'm, I'm really love there. I love it in Portland. It's beautiful. But uh, but but let me tell you, there's they have serious problems. There's yeah. it's it's. I don't know why such a beautiful place attracts such assholes. <laughs> I, I you know what always stymies me about that is, I always feel like when people have a lot of hate in their hearts that. Especially with the racial divide, that it's it's the biggest it's it's the biggest swindle ever because they mm-hmm. don't realize it's by design. Because if we actually united more in our socioeconomic interests and similarities, that would like it's it's a diversion. It's a diversion from mm-hmm. the real problems, and that's that's what really really gets me. And like you know, for for many years, for like well. I still go behind the bar at the shop now, and I'm on, I'm working on my eighth year working for Apothecarium. Mm-hmm. And somebody said to me, you know, I've I've seen you here since the beginning, and I was like, yeah. He's like, you you must see a lot. You must you must encounter a lot of people. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, well, you know, well, well like what? Oh yeah, I love, I love that book. Thank I love you. that book. But I mean, the biggest thing is is that you know, I told him, I said, we have. Because he wanted dirt on on people, and I was like, "We have similarities. I know that we we're more alike than we could never know. Our differences mm-hmm. are beautiful. We want to be healthy. We want to be seen. We want to be loved. Mm-hmm. And we want to be safe. And we all want that. I mean, maybe it's not like a hippie saying that, but like no, that's the truth. No, not at all. And, and maybe by what's happening in the world right now, it gives us an opportunity uh, to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, with life in the time of Corona, it's like we're spending time at home and, you know, we're talking about, you know, cannabis isn't going to cure coronavirus, but Mm -hmm. it can, it can help us in these times to... Isn't it too bad? I know. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, Can you see this? Yes. And I love that. Stop the Donald. Don't let the infection spread. Yes. Yes. Yes to that STD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> but you know, when we're home now, it's like what what can we do? You know, as far as like diversions to comfort ourselves, to to quell the anxiety, to give us lift. For those of us who can tolerate yeah. cannabis, that's that's a it's a it's a great part of it. And I really appreciate too with your your craft cocktails and and mixology that. Not only is it a, another way of using cannabis, but it's also, as we're seeing people baking bread and doing all these different, you know, yeah, stay-at-home stuff. Yeah, stay-at-home stuff. And that's what it's written stuff. for. That's exactly what it's written for. I mean, I, and and the, the part that we we haven't talked about, it's non-confrontational. If you can go out and smoke a joint, ever here in New Jersey, everyone knows your business. I don't like smoking a joint out in the street. Someone's going to smell it. We're going to call the police. I'm in the medical program, but why do I have to pull out my card and justify who I am and, and get put in the system for smoking weed out here on the street? I mean, it's illegal. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to do that. So maybe if I had a, a well-crafted cannabis cocktail made with, you know, uh, a Vietnamese iced coffee and I THC infuse the condensed milk and pour it into a tall glass and sip it as I'm having a walk, there's enough THC in there to knock down an entire family of rhinoceroses. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely delicious. And those are the worst. And they have no idea what I'm doing. When did you start applying your mixology skills uh, to cannabis cocktails? Can I, can I be totally honest with you? Yeah. Can I be like hard, only a couple people know this in the world? This is Radio Misfits Network. You can say whatever you want. Uh, 1981, <laughs> I was at Caravan of Dreams, which is on St. Mark's Place in, in New York City. And I had uh, a vial of pure LSD, uh-huh. and it, it ended up into various teapots of apple spice tea, which were handed out to the entire restaurant. Wait a minute. You, everyone, you said you never did, lived an exciting everyone, life. Everyone, <laughs> That's exciting. I've lived a very exciting life. I worked at Danceteria. Come on. Did you? Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Did you, uh, did, uh was, was Madonna there? Yeah, right in front of me. I was class of 1984. Oh, right yeah, on. Yeah, uh, right on. And John Argento has a, a, a club called Zeppelin, a, a, a beer pub in, uh, in I think it's Jersey City. And uh, we're connected together on social media again after not seeing each other for like 10 years or 20 years. It was very interesting to reconnect after that period of time. Uh, see, he that's... looks exactly the same. He was one of the owners of Dance Interior, uh, and it's exactly the same. I that, that's that's the stuff I love about social media. Hmm. Being able to like connect with people that you you may not have been able well, to reconnect. You reconnect. Reconnect. I mean, and since I live in Morristown and he's in Jersey City, I have had a chance of of being there. I haven't seen him, but we've spoken, you know, through our our social media contacts. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. So anyway, so um, so the the story was how did I how did I figure this out? Yeah. So I think that uh, apple spice tea would be a good thing to add add uh, LSD to. I probably <laughs> should have done that. This I don't do that stuff anymore. Um. Anyway, so um, so that was kind of what put it in my head. But uh, but really, fast forward to I don't know. I'd say it's probably. 2006, 2007, I was just finishing up with my 20-year career in the, co- in the corporate world, mm-hmm. paying back my uh, dad and grandfather money that I owed them. For, you know, it took me 20 years to pay it back. And uh, I started uh, 
you know, I didn't wasn't going to be in the corporate world anymore. So I knew I wasn't going to be having any drug tests and I was smoking weed pretty much every day anyway. So I started working with cocktails and then it, it it's kind of evolved to me because I was down in New Orleans at uh, Tales of the Cocktail. I'd been going down to New Orleans every year for about 10 years because I was involved in the rum business and being a brand ambassador for a boutique rum company that happened to be housed in Russia. So I'd go down to Tales every year. And I was doing a book signing at the Pharmacy Museum on Royal Street. And uh, they just happened to be doing a, an exhibition of cannabis in the early apothecary. And the early apothecary really was no more than a cocktail lounge because that's what they would do. They would mix drinks and put up little preparations of whatever it was. And people would have problems with their gut. They'd get Peixot bitters or Angostura bitters if they had dysentery or absinthe. You know, or, you know, if they had uh, head lice, you know, the the wormwood was really good against, you know, stomach worms or, you know, lice or whatever else. And, you know, so they'd go to their pharmacist to make preparations. But really, one of the ingredients that actually did the healing was cannabis. So the entire uh, uh, exhibition at the pharmacy museum, aside from my book signing, which was in the front of the store because they have my books there. Um, was regarding uh, cannabis in the early apothecary. And at that point, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I had to create the science. I created all the recipes. There's 75 recipes in the book, and they're all mine. That's awesome. And, uh, and they're all delicious, and they'll knock you in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, and in case listeners, I know some listeners are going to tune in because they have met you or read your book. But for those who well, haven't, what's... What, there's there's six books. List them off yeah. for us so that they can check it out. Um, apothecary cocktails, whiskey cocktails, bitters and shrub syrup cocktails, cannabis cocktails, the craft cocktail compendium. And then in Europe, I have a, a version of a, you know, the French market. Um, I, I got when you were in Europe, you had a version of and then we cut out. Uh, translated into French. Oh. So that's a uh, that's a European issue. Um, I had one around here somewhere. Anyway, but it's a uh, it's a European issue available only in France. Oh, very cool, very cool. Mm -hmm. And when did you when did the cannabis cocktails book get published? Uh, Two thousand and fifteen. I wrote it. I had one month to get everything done, the science done, the uh, all the recipes written. I think it was out June of 2016. Mm -hmm. And for people who are at home, um, what is I? Because I was I was gonna get. I thought we had a copy of your book in our boutique, but we were having a hard time getting it from the publisher. Um, what are get you... in touch with me, and I'll have the uh, I'll have the wholesale person get in touch with you. Oh, right on. Good deal. We'll do that then. Mm -hmm. But what are you using as a as a cannabis base for the cocktails? Are you using tinctures or? Oh no no no. That's a really good question, but no, I don't. And I'll tell you why. A tincture is very bitter. And mine being, I'm a master mixologist, mm -hmm. and by that, that nature of that word, everything in a craft cocktail or mocktail should be in balance. It should be a, an amalgamation of flavors, not just one dimension. And when you use tinctures in a craft cocktail, it over just by the nature of the alcohol level being about 190 proof, it would be the most bitter thing in there, and it would create complete chaos of flavors yeah so my drinks are kind of like soup they're different levels of flavor and of quality and you know sometimes people think 
oh, well, it sounds like there's a lot of different ingredients in them. And I say, to a certain extent, you may be right, but uh, what I'm doing now, and you know, it has been five years since I've written the book, uh, my cocktails have no more than two or three ingredients in them. Mm-hmm. But that was then, this is now, and I think if anyone follows what I'm working on and the projects that I'm doing, they would be pleasantly surprised that uh, I very rarely make drinks that have more than three ingredients. Do you do you like I, when I think about cannabis and cocktails? There are going to be people who are going to be more attracted to things that don't have alcohol in them, and other people are curious about that. And then I, you know, you yeah, can hey. you can do that safely as long as you're aware of not getting crossfaded. Oh, I love the crossfade. That's the best part. <laughs> I mean, when I was on uh, Viceland Live and I destroyed them on live TV, they wanted the crossfade. They came. The, one of the producers said, or one of the, the actors came to me and they said, we want you to make us a CBD cocktail that we can feel. Now, any jerk knows that there's no such thing as a CBD cocktail that you can feel because there's nothing in it that makes you feel anything. Yeah. I mean, it's complete placebo. I mean, that's the whole thing. I People ask me to come to their houses and make you know, a CBD punch, and they come to me, they say, they say, like, will I feel anything? And it's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, so they asked me to be on this TV show, show called Viceland Live, which has since been canceled. I wonder why. Right. But, uh, but, <laughs> but they, uh, they asked me to make a punch, and I, I did. It was blood orange. It was barrel bourbon, which is a single barrel craft bourbon from a single distillery, and it's really high-end stuff. Blood roasted blood orange juice with angostura and, and uh, germinado sugar, and then a bottle. And then I used the Pickett's ginger beer syrup as my sweet, and finished it with seltzer water. So it had this beautiful fizz and lift. And then there was like two different types of bitters. I think I used angostura, and I used uh, Fee Brothers lemon bitter. So it had some depth and it had some balance, and it was really wonderful. And you're really only supposed to drink a quarter ounce. And really only supposed to have one of those every hour. Well, all the staff members had like multiple glasses of it. Every 15 minutes they were drinking down another glass. And suddenly they were on the air and it hit. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) And they were destroyed on live TV. And I was responsible. Uh, what do you think as far as uh, concerning mixology, like what flavors go well with the, the taste of cannabis? Oh my God. Absinthe, because it's a bad boy and it's been vilified by history. I love it. And there's nothing, you know, I mean, where did you you say you you were located? I'm in, well, I was in San Francisco, but now I'm in Oakland. Oh, you're in Oakland. Okay. So, but I'm, I'm originally a youper. I'm from the upper peninsula of Michigan. Okay, because I was talking to someone the other day about uh, they were from Chicago, and I said, oh, God forbid you have to mix something with Malort. And they were like, how do you know about Malort? And Malort is the stuff where you want you drink a drink and you want to fight your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I would stay away you know? from that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, anyone who's listening, if they're from Chicago, I know about it. I know about Malort and I know what it does. <laughs> My producer, Ed, will be happy to hear that he's <laughs> smack dab in the middle of Chicago. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Tell him, tell, I know about Malort. <laughs> Anyway, and, and now you know about it, too, because you'll look it up and you'll want to see their commercials. And then you have to see the commercial where the, uh, the, the son of the founder 
is drinking shots of it and getting drunk and he throws up on himself and it's it's so awful. Oh but god. It's so amazing. He just you know and, and and comedy like that is so important in a time where people are suffering and dying around us right this very second and that's why stuff like this is so important. Anyway, so I would mix with absinthe because it has been vilified from history as being the bad boy of the bar and I would make Sazeracs and let's see what did I um in my book, Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics, I infuse the absinthe with THC. So it's bad boy meets bad boy and crossfade in a, in a Sazerac. Nice. And what about uh, there flavor? Oh, right on. I see that. Yeah. Nice. How about for mocktails? Like what flavor profiles do you think complement oh, cannabis? I, the, the, the greatest strength that just... I just took a long walk and I'm sweaty and, and I really wanted to get something refreshing in me. And I love infusing THC into condensed milk. You can do it on a double boiler on your stove in two hours, but the best ones come out over like two to four hours. Just don't cook it too long. It'll turn into caramel, but then it's THC infused caramel, but you never want to boil it. It shouldn't be over 160 degrees. So a very, very light simmer, a couple bubbles every so often. Maybe use your candy thermometer if you can. Or a regular thermometer. It's not going to ever get that hot. So a candy thermometer would be for, you know, hard crack candy. That would be like 300 degrees. No, you don't want to go anywhere near that. It's about 160 degrees for two hours. Um, I make sure I decarb my cannabis. That's essential. That activates the THC from THCA. If you're cooking for any, you know, long period of time, it's really important because the cannabis never truly vaporizes you know in an in the aqueous state um so you have this beautiful infused thc you know condensed milk and it lasts like a week in the refrigerator and i pour it over pancakes or ice cream or thc infused uh vietnamese sugarcane juice freshly crushed sugarcane juice with with the uh thc and you know infused condensed milk that's that's just um, you must have an amazing cab pantry (laughs) and refrigerator (laughs) actually i don't it's like you know if i did i'd be as big as a house but uh it's everything is uh it's it's pretty pretty slim it's slim going it's all right i i eat what i need to you pick it up when you're working with it uh not really i'd much rather smoke uh because you know the the drinks. I have uh, I have glaucoma, and I just love the way that smoking makes me feel, as opposed to drinking. Drinking the strain, <clears throat> excuse me, drinking the individual strains is nice, and it's uh, and it's effective. Excuse me, just for a second. Sure. Drink of water. Um, it's it's nice and it's effective, but I think what at the end of the day, I'd much rather smoke because mm-hmm. I get uh, just much better results. I don't get the headaches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's another reason why when we're looking at policy in different states and I I do a lot of education in different states and it's always interesting when they're developing policy how it's it's based on um, state culture and stigma. And so we always have to really illustrate to people why there need to be so many different ways to consume cannabis because, you know, different places will allow different things. And, like, you know inhaling for some people works really well eating it works well for Mm. some people and now more and more people are starting to discover drinking cannabis and how you know the effects come on faster 
Oh, that's yeah. That's the uh, Vietnamese iced coffee with THC-infused condensed milk. Oh, that's beautiful. <clears throat> that's beautiful. Yeah. And then I have uh, I have another one, which is really nice. It's a uh, Shake It Sugar Ray after the uh, famous Grateful Dead songs. Oh, um, did you? Did I tell you that uh, my fiance was a member of Further? Oh wow! Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. So he was on the road with Phil and Bob through the whole run. He's he sang oh, wow. back up for them. Oh, how fun is that? Yeah. So this is uh, this is two ounces of cannabis cream made with heavy whipping cream. So it was a uh, sixty milligrams of cannabis cream. In one drink, uh, one scoop of coffee ice cream, half ounce of Irish whiskey, uh, half ounce of brandy, one teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, three ounces of brewed espresso coffee, and a cup of ice. It's kind of like an egg cream, uh-huh. and you and you shake it. You shake the hell out of it, so really, really hard, and then that's it at the end. Wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful drink. That is a beautiful <laughs> Down drink. Down at... Uh, there's a bar down in New Orleans called the uh, Aaron Rose, and this is a takeoff of their frozen Irish coffee. Ooh, is it? Where are they? Are they in the French Quarter? Oh, uh, they're in the French Quarter. Yeah, it's okay. behind, it's it's pretty you know down and dirty, but yeah. it's great. The Aaron Rose. In fact, I brought cups from there to Russia with me and left them at the bar show. Oh, so. they must have loved that. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then this this thing is is kind of interesting. Your uh, your bartending people might recognize it what is it it's uh employees only in new york city oh really so uh when i pulled back my sleeve in moscow it, it got me the opportunity of smoking a joint in red square which i took and uh <laughs> and did and uh yeah <laughs> so i do have some wild side to me nice but, well i think i think we all need that y'all you know, oh yeah that was up there with things that uh, Warren should not do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, you've never really lived till you've done a few things that you're not supposed to do as long as you survive it. I did. I survived. I came back and I lost my job pretty much promptly. But it was because I wrote cannabis cocktails. And rather than extolling the great virtues of the rum that I was representing, right. and I did, and, and I did to the best of my ability. The popularity and the interest was in this, and not that. And it, the big fact that I was, you know, pretty famous from my books, overshadowed the fine products that I was out to talk about. And I understand the reasoning why they, you know, at the end of the day, it pushed my career forward. So I'm much happier because of it. But it really was the last time I worked for anyone. I work for myself now. That's so. So it's really cool. There's, there's. And I write for I write for Forbes, so uh, that's that's a magic thing. Oh yeah, it really is. When did you start writing for Forbes? Uh, three years ago. Three years ago, what was your yeah. first article? I wrote about Madeira. Nice. <laughs> I was just looking at it the other yet last night. That's very funny. I I looked at my my first article. It was about uh, Betsy Schuyler and Alexander Hamilton. They lived here in Morristown. Uh, Alexander Hamilton courted Betsy Schuyler, and they probably uh, drank Madeira to toast their good fortune. Yeah. What was your first cannabis-related article for Forbes? Um, I, that's a good question. I don't recall exactly which one it was. I didn't go back and look at that. I, you've caught me off guard. <laughs> on that, so. No worries. Know. Yeah, I, I don't recall what it was. 
Are you, do you find, what do you like writing more about? Or is it, is there, is there a difference when you're writing about, you know, you, writing about more about liqueurs and wines and, and, or cannabis? Um, actually, I write, like writing about women. And yeah. because I supported women in the corporate world for a great portion of my time that I spent working as an executive assistant, even though I started as a teller, but I was, you know, they took notice of me pretty quickly. So I was not in the branches for very long, you know, a couple of years, mm-hmm. maybe five years, but that, that was enough. But so I supported many women and I saw <clears throat> just how hard it was to come up through the sea level and above mm-hmm. and, you know, what they went through. And that's why in my writing today, I like focusing on women in the cannabis industry. Especially, you know, I, I focus, I've written about a lot of CEOs, but that's not the point. The point is I'd, I'd love to write about female growers mm-hmm. and just people who are, who are kicking ass and taking names and, and doing the best job they can. Like my friend Heidi Minks I wrote about who works for uh, Juva, uh, you know, the cannabis delivery s- service down in uh, San Jose. Oh, so, okay. uh, you know, so I wrote about her and I, I just like, I love writing about, you know, kick-ass women in the business who may not necessarily have PR ability to have, you know, or their hands up saying, look at me, look at me. You know, I, I meet people along the way and I like to write about them and, and have them talk about their strengths and what makes them happy. Yeah, it's it's um, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, I, I, there are like there was a list that just came out recently and I was I was I was grateful to be on it. Um, it was the Green Market Report one. But mm-hmm. I felt I also felt. You feel bad. It's actually the only list I ever get on. <laughs> I'm always like, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Because, you know, a lot of us are just are too busy actually doing the work. Yeah. I to, know you know, the, the whole social media PR thing is is a lot of work and it, it's a job on its own. So if you're really doing a lot of the activism and getting in there and helping people, it can be really hard. And it's it is one of those things we've I've seen a lot of conversations about some of the people who do the most work actually uh, get the least noticed because they're you, you do well, they don't have their head buried in their telephone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very true. That's very true. And it's I wish there was a way that well, and it sounds like you're doing it. And I know there are, are some other people who are very aware of it, too. Um but to be able to highlight those people because they're actually the ones that are making a lot of the things happen that we should be grateful for today. I just dig that, that people have a work ethic. Yeah. Male or female. It's so refreshing to see that they have a work ethic and they want to kick ass and take names and get things done because they realize that uh, if they didn't do the work, who was there to do it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's no one. Or do it right. And it takes a lot. I grew up on a farm. You know, and I grew up on a farm in, in Morris Township, New Jersey, and it's certified organic, and for a time it was biodynamic. And my hands are soft today, but there was a time that they weren't soft. And, you know, and I look back at what my job was, and that was shoveling shit in the stable. And, you know, if I didn't do so well in school, and there was a lot of times that I didn't, that's where I was, you know, supposed to be doing. And I was shoveling shit because horses don't stop doing what they're doing just because you're not down there, you know, and if you're not, not shoveling there, you have a problem. So it's uh, something I have a lot of experience in and, and those, that type of work ethic follows me to today. So it's very refreshing when I get a chance to get out to the West coast 
and seeing how hard people work and to achieve. And, you know, it's said that there's a lot of money to be made in the business, but no, no money is made without hard work. And that takes time. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. And you have to have something real. Well, or tangible. Yeah. At least. And it's tangible into yourself and it becomes very personal. And that, that, but, you know, especially with people who work in the, in the farms that are north of, of San Francisco, you know, they're not all, you know, back to the earth people, but some of them are. And I have a lot of respect for that because that's, you know, they live an organic or a biodynamic lifestyle and it's not just the, the farm, it's everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just being thoughtful for the earth. And I, appreciate that greatly and have a, a great deep understanding of it. I think that you really feel the the difference too when you experience different flowers and how they're grown. Um, like somebody who really cares about what they're doing, they're approaching it biodynamically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just you, you, well, it's a it, whole system. Yeah. It's a whole system. It's, it's how they, it's how you heat your house. It's how, what turns on the electricity. It's by solar. It's by, you know, gray water it's by self-competency toilets it's the whole thing mm-hmm. it's not just one thing it's it's how everything inter interconnects right and so there are farms that i've come across in uh in california like brotherly love for instance for instance mm-hmm. and they're biodynamic and it's a total system it's not just one part it's many parts and that's that's really important mm-hmm. and that, that's the cannabis that i want to smoke that's the people i want to talk about those are the people i want to write about and mm-hmm. i have yeah. You know, because they really have an ethos, a passion to to heal. Yeah. And the backstory to that is from, you know, from from war, from trying to heal the PTSD, from, the, you know, the injuries to the brain. And they they grow all different cushions. And those are the ones that really bring you down and keep you from going out and doing bad things. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, especially <clears throat> when you had significant trauma that trauma. You've, yeah, yeah. It, it really helps you understand like I don't I don't think people who haven't experienced that understand so much about the slowing down and the, the taking care of yourself and that self-care isn't an elitist thing is you know it's not like going to the spa it's about no, it's no, about creating it's about, homeostasis it's about being good to yourself yeah and and that that is there's a ripple effect to that mhm and uh, and wellness just the wellness, and that's a beautiful mug that you're using, by the way. I meant to compliment you. Oh, on thank it. you. This my my best friend Jesse made it. She's a potter. I could tell it looked very crafty. <laughs> I have two of them, and I treasure them. Yes, it's a nice color. It's a nice uh, nice palette. Yeah, she she gave me this one too. This one I had my CBD tea in, and this was oh, wow. made by another Excellent. potter. But I just it's like a kind of a different sort of. Kind of yeah, whims- that's, whimsical. That's, yeah, I like that. That's kind of um, Roycraft. Yeah, and it's know. got the the peach interior to it there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Very nice. You have a lot of cool houses, craftsman houses, <clears throat> where you are. Oh, in yeah. That, in that area. Yeah. yeah I, love, I was recently, I went to High Fidelity mm-hmm. uh, recently before all the craziness. I was out actually in Sacramento and I... Well, I flew into SFO and rented a, uh, a car and went to, to David, to, um, what is it, uh, Kermit Lynch to, oh. get some, to get some wine. Yeah. And then I, then I drove to uh, Sacramento. 
That's good. And uh, yeah, so I'm working on a project. I started a company called uh, Klaus Apothecare, mm-hmm. and I'm coming out with a uh, with a beverage, which will be out. I got uh, venture capital um, financing for 4,400 cans, and my product will be out as soon as maybe May. Oh, congratulations! It's a um, it's a beverage. It's a it's right, and it's out of my out of my book. Uh huh. And there's no alcohol in it. It's a mocktail, uh-huh. and it has Pickett's uh, ginger syrup, uh, lime juice from France, uh, a little bit of the uh, of the very, 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 very fine bubble, and two different types of bitters: orange and lemon bitters. Ooh, that and sounds so wonderful. It, it's, and in a beautiful can. I wish I could show it to you. Let me see. I'm definitely going to show you a picture of the can. Okay. Because the the artist is uh, a man named John Manis. And he does just absolutely beautiful work. And I can't believe I haven't talked about this yet. So, yeah, you were holding out on me. It's holding out on you. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, there was other things to talk about, you know? (laughs) There's lots of other things to achieve. And if you have an hour, if I have an hour of your time or thereabouts, I'm going to keep the best until last. (laughs) Right on. So, let me get the picture of this, uh, this beautiful, beautiful can. Here it is. Pull it back a little bit. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Beautiful. Yeah. This one is called the uh, Bosphorus cocktail. Not, not the, no, the Meserol cocktail. I'm sorry, the Meserol cocktail. Oh, wow. And how many milligrams are going to be in that? Uh, it's going to be 10 milligrams of live resin. Uh-huh. And it has three-minute onset, and it really takes you there. Wow. Three-minute onset. Yeah. 8.4 fluid ounces, live resin. It's mango train wreck is the uh the strain oh wow and you can tell taste the terps it really jumps out at you it's really incredible mine is the you know as a master mixologist it can't be one of those listless stupid seltzers with crappy ingredients in it this is truly a craft mocktail unlike anything that's ever been put on the market this is also uh my apothecary book in uh in french oh cool yeah i can see that Oh, very so, cool. Are you are you planning on branching out to some other mocktails in the line as well? Uh, we're starting with one skew to start. 4,400 cans is not inexpensive. It's, right. uh, it's a, a big, big money. So I have to uh, take take my time and and there it is. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Really beautiful. colorful. Beautiful. Really colorful. It's really jump out at the shelf, and it's shelf stable. Uh-huh. It doesn't need to be refrigerated because it's pasteurized. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and the technology that we use is from a company called Space Station in Sacramento, and they're in the Sacramento area. And their benefit is that they have they have the technology. There's the logo. Okay. Um, they have the technology th- that, and it's licensed. To, they are the ones who who own the patent of the can that the THC doesn't stick to. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. They, they own the technology and the, the can I'm using is the one that the THC doesn't stick to. Oh, that's cool. And it's a resealable can. Uh, I'm not certain what we're using on that as of yet. 8.4 fluid ounces. That should be two drinks. So I'm not certain. That's a good, good question. I'll have to check that one. I, I just love how, sophisticated things are getting because I remember back in the day when I had my medical card. Oh, that's, 
That's really beautiful. Did you so when you're looking at the design of it, what did you what did you tell him to keep in mind? What LSD. Were... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rorschach ink blot tests. I don't know. Oh, so you're going back to the spiced where apple I, cider where I, days. Where I, where I left where I left my mind in New York City. I don't know. <laughs> It's gorgeous. I did, go to, I did go to MIT for a year. So, you know, no dummies go there, right? True that. No dummies. There's another nice. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it just took me longer. I It took me 58 years to grow up. And uh, this is a uh, mint julep with THC infused rye whiskey. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. That's great for Derby Day. Yeah, that would it, be. I'd have to have like a thimble full of that. No, uh, this is good. It's a, a mint julep made with rye infused THC, you know, rye whiskey infused with THC. And I use Cindy 99. It pairs perfectly with rye. Cindy 99 is one of my faves. It is good, especially with rye whiskey. Yeah. It's good, it's good stuff. See, we're having fun. Yeah. Oh, I knew we oh, would. Oh, you know what's the best? You know what's the best? This. This is a Shaolin Kanagar. I love writing about Kanagar. So have you ever had a Kanagar? Oh, yeah. I really should look these out. Look, these are from Colorado, the, uh-huh. uh, the Shaolin. Oh, but I saw that you posted about that not too long ago. Yeah, I brought one down to uh, Florida with me for Benzinga and got a lot of people twisted up. That, was <laughs> that is one of the beauties of our work is going to places where... Go to places and get people twisted up. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that, I do that love that, that too. That, that won't be for a little while, unfortunately. I think we uh, we made some grave errors with that one. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's we're. It seems like more and more people. I know I did this yesterday. Two of two of my dear friends who also work in cannabis. We got together and uh, via uh, Zoom. Right, you had a virtual sesh? We had a virtual sesh and just like caught up. Well, we all talked about what we were smoking and what we were doing and how we were feeling. And it was was a really nice lift. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm not used... But I miss that camaraderie and I I miss the... uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain if you don't smoke weed. And I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this would, would be laughing deep inside right now. But but the fact is that it's a, it's a social creature. It is, and it's and seshing together is what brings us together, and you know it's our identity. Yeah. And and I and I miss that. I do. I hate smoking alone. I mean, I I, I do, but I but I do for other reasons. But right. then I I'm fortunate that I can write, and especially all of my books I wrote under the influence of cannabis, I would never have been able to get the work done at the level that I believe I write in at this point of my life and at this point of my career. It helps me to focus and it really does open up my mind and it helps me relax and, and float downstream, if you will. And it, it really, it makes me a much more cognizant writer and a much more empathetic writer. And I like making you hungry and thirsty and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think if more people understood that, and that, you know, especially when we're getting into policy, like um, people a lot of times will get upset about how expensive cannabis has become in California mm-hmm. because of taxation. And one of mm-hmm. the things I always tell them is, you know, it's not about getting upset at your your bud tender because, 
you know, they don't control the taxes. But what it is, is it's no. about letting the people know who count on your votes for their jobs that you use cannabis, you're highly productive, and you vote. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and I do. I'm a liberal. And, I, you know, in, in a place that even though we have a great number of of people who are no long, who are not not Republican here, but we're surrounded by you know ultra conservatism, and it's it's frustrating, and it's it's I find it to be a lot of it to be really condescending, but normal I just want to just keep my mouth shut and not say anything because I don't need the attention and I don't want the attention. Right. I want to bring I want to bring good things into the world, not not negative things. And I'd rather say something nice about someone than something not nice. And, uh, and I think that's important in life. Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, it's even not everybody has to have the conversations with people who are against it or don't know a lot about it. But I think that I also think that conversation is normalization. Like when somebody who formerly was opposed to cannabis use and finds that it's what gives them relief and it's the only mm-hmm. thing that has. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, I need to talk to the people in my circle about this because we, they need to know that it's, it's not what we thought that's it right. was in the past. That's um, right. You know, it's, that's, that's stuff, exactly right. But, yeah. but that, I, that's what got me disowned by my family. I mean, I, I come from something that that's greater than life and they don't want anything to do with me and yeah. I'm on my own. So it's uh, it's very frustrating, and all of the things and all the successes that I've had, I have no one to, other you know my wife to share it with. Really, I mean it's you know that's that's it. That's 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 the whole thing of it because of cannabis. And I have a stepbrother who was put away into a a drug rehabilitation you know therapy place that was guarded twenty four seven because he smoked weed wow. by my mother. Wow. I mean, that's that's just unbelievable. I, I could never forgive her for that. And I'm sure I don't know how he does. And that's the way of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel I feel very lucky that uh, I didn't I didn't have to encounter that. My mom. Well, I started being open about my cannabis use when I had cancer and mm-hmm. my mother's an oncology uh, researcher. So she was, okay. yeah, she was, so you had to say, yeah, I was like, okay. So, but now, you know, we'll have the conversations and she's like, I hope that you're not smoking a lot. I hope you're cutting down your Aww. use. And I'm like, listen, Barbara, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I go to work every day. <laughs> I'm productive. Human being. Yeah. yeah. Functioning human being. You, normally what I say is I've written six books. What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've written six books and, and I've traveled all over the world for my craft and I can teach you about boutique rum and why uh, the dark rum on the shelf is, is probably the one that's two days old because it's been colored with caramel and tons of added sugar to make it sweet, thinking that it's an expensive old rum when it's really not. And the old one is the white one that's on the shelf because that's the one that's carefully blended with multiple years of different you know, exotic rums. And even though there's no color in it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't the oldest. Yeah. And we got to trust your experts. Yeah. So you got an an exciting new drink on that's going to be on the market soon. Yes. Um, what are, what are other thoughts for the future? Do you have any other things that are, that are coming up? Oh my God. You know, we, we really have to get 
get our our country healthy. Yeah, you know we have to be we have to we have to come through some bad shit, and uh, I I'm in no place to say what we have to do or what we can do or what we can't do. But when the time comes to go forward, I'm ready to change my life to go forward and to really, you know, this is Klaus, Apothecary, you know, Klaus cares. Yeah. Klaus wants to do better by you. And if you could enjoy one of my beverages and say, wow, this is really refreshing and delicious and maybe tell your friends and buy another one. And, you know, that's, that's all I care about. It's, I, I really want to just make things different than those listless, seltzers that uh that clog the shelves i mean everything everything is is fizzy water and dubious ingredients and tons of sugar and my drinks aren't like that i i you know on my my skype it, it says very simply i'd like to help you drink less sweet you know yeah. make things that are less sweet and if you can do that then you're going to be a healthier drinker and you know it's booze is all sugar anyway and even if you're drinking mocktails you have we have a responsibility to make things a little less sweet. There's so much sugary sweetness on the market, and we can, I can do better. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people with diabetes. Oh, sure, absolutely, and that's pretty prevalent. And uh, But that really wasn't the, you know, the, my goal. My goal was to make drinks that, that you want to drink again as opposed to something that you say, yeah, it was good, but it was just too sweet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that. I don't take that. That's, that's not me. Well, I'm a chef. I have to. I make things. I'm, I'm a cook. I started as a dishwasher. I worked my way up by by necessity. I needed a job. My uh, I was working in television in New York City, and it was not sustainable. And I had I took a job in uh, in Portland, Maine, working in uh, in public broadcasting and public television. That that wasn't sustainable. So I really needed a job, and it was in the winter, and I didn't have any place to look for a job and I became a dishwasher and I washed a lot of dishes and pots and pans, but I didn't go hungry. And for all the cold and the raw and the flu and everything else that was Portland, Maine in the 1980s, uh, it, it was, I was eating well and learning about culinary arts and working my way up the line and, and becoming the foreign that I am today. It's, it didn't come easily. It, yeah. I, I've worked since I was you know, 14, I worked in wine stores and all sorts of stuff. Well, I mean, that's, I think that that's a, another reason why you're on the cutting edge of what you do, because you work hard and you care and you've experienced no. a lot. Uh, yeah, I've experienced <laughs> a lot of butts <laughs> my ass. <laughs> and, and when I was cleaning out, when, yeah, at 50 years old, I went over to the Ryland Inn in, uh, in White House, New Jersey, and I had written a couple articles for uh, New Jersey Monthly and run restaurant reviews and really torn people new butts. And <laughs> so I wasn't to be trusted. But my friend uh, Anthony Bucco was the uh, executive chef. And I asked, I, you know, I'm a trained chef and I went to culinary school and ACF apprenticeship and the whole thing. But I, I, I was old, you know, 50 years old at the time. And I, you know, the kitchen is filled with 22, 23, 25 year olds and they would run circles around me. So I didn't want to be a cook, but I had been writing about liquor. I really, you know, I was kind of experimenting with mixology in my head. I still hadn't, you know, done any cannabis mixology. That was that was another several years up the road. But uh, I needed a job. So his uh, bartender is a guy named Chris James, who's become my mentor and close friend. And uh, Chris helped, said, you know, I don't need any bartenders. And you're not a bartender. 
you may have written about liquor, but you're not a bartender. And he said, I, I don't need any bartenders. What I need is a bar back because the guy that was going to be doing my bar backing split on me. He didn't show up to work and I need to get work done. I need you to be, you know, if you want a job here, it's not going to be easy. They're not going to sugarcoat it for me. Mm -hmm. And they worked me. They busted my ass. Yeah. They, they, they broke me. It was in military parlay. They made me cry. Oh. They did. They absolutely did. I, I, I did everything in that restaurant and I tried to do as much of it as I could with a smile, but really at the end of the day, what it made me is the person that I am today. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I have all the indebtedness in the world at 50 years old. And now that I'm, you know, 58, I look back at that. I can keep up with them. Absolutely. At this point, yeah. I'm in better shape today than I was at, at 30 and, and it's magnificent. It's really incredible. And I, you know, I've, I have them absolutely to thank for it. And now that I don't drink hard liquor anymore, my belly has everything to thank for it because I, it's not filled up with, you know, with sugary, you know, whatever. And I'm, you know, when I was doing a lot of drinking and that was like all the time, um, it was part of my job, but it's much healthier not to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel much better. That's awesome. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in getting to the basics to learn about things. Like I, I left a middle, well, it was after cancer. I had been in middle management and I started working at a dispensary, you know, mm -hmm. major cut in pay. Oh, um, sure. But that was one of the things when people ask me, you know, oh, you, you do all this education, you're a public education officer. How do I get a job like yours? I'm like, you get behind that bar and you work and you learn. Yeah, that's right. And you deal with people and you learn how to, you know, not everything is uh, stoners coming for you, you know, to, to, to get wasted. It's people who are really, you know, have epilepsy or have, you know, complex nerve issues or really just need someone to, to talk to, Yeah. you know, and to, to be empathetic to what's going on with them. And that's why the cannabis drinks are so appropriate, because you really can dial in the, uh, the strain and, and the effect that you're looking for. And I think Mango Trainwreck is a classic example of a strain that that tastes good with the other ingredients that I use, and uh, and will give a desired effect that's predictable every single time. We're using the uh, nanotechnology, which nice. is uh, which is really important stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, a scientist, even though I do have that sort of you know sort of that background. But that's but that's from another reason for another day. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about some nano emulsion. Yeah, the nano emulsion, but but really it, it goes back to the snake oil stuff. And uh, my grandfather was in the patent pharmaceutical industry, and he manufactured a uh, a vitamin tonic that made him a very successful man. And it was called Geritol. And, ah! uh, you're probably too young for that. No, uh, no, I I remember you know Geritol. Yeah, it was for iron poor blood. And my uh, my mom used to give me Geritol Junior, which was you know. 25% alcohol or 50 proof. Or, and I think Geritol is like 50% alcohol. Well, that'll make you, you feel groovy. Sell, you know, yeah. If you could sell alcohol, if you could sell pure USP alcohol in a pharmacy and package it as a vitamin tonic and, you know, you can, you can become successful in life. So, uh, hey. so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not taking that path. And the FTC and the FDA sued my grandfather for the most at the time in U.S. history. Really? Uh, for making snake oil. Yeah. So that's why I really have a, I get, when people ask me to write about CBD and uh -huh. they do all the time and, and if they irk me in any way, 
I tell them about my grandfather. I say, you know, my grandfather was put out of business by the FDA and the FTC. Yeah, it's the biggest fine in U.S. history. I think I learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> usually they shut. Usually they shut up. <laughs> I've I've had people ask me to write about CBD, and then they they also in the next breath they ask me, and please don't editorialize. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, but yeah. hey, there's so much to but, say but around wait. that. But 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 what I want to talk about is how do you dose? I mean, if if you can tell me how to dose the shit, I'll shout about it to the highest you know the highest mountain. But there's no dosage. There's no there's no nothing. Well, I there's no nothing. I think the that emperor wears no clothes. Yeah, it, it's an it's an interesting thing because what people aren't talking about as much is that. Because I do a lot of trainings with healthcare professionals, and they always want to want no dosage with cannabinoids. Right. And um, I always say it's not so much about the dosage, but creating the safe container for experimentation, because we all metabolize it differently. Yes, exactly. And the entourage effect is different. But and the whole, the the other thing, I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, but you the didn't. thing that I find most uh, ironic is that there's CBD from hemp, and then there's CBD from cannabis. And they're two different things entirely. And I know for my glaucoma, I'm supposed to, t because I had my DNA tested for this, I had the, my cannabis DNA tested for an article that I never ended up writing. But, the, uh, but I know what strains I'm supposed to take and what's good for my eyes. And they say it's high CBD, low THC, but you can't get that in hemp. And yeah. that's, the, that's the thing that's missing in the conversation. It's that there is a difference between CBD from hemp and there's a difference between the strains of the cultivars that we take recreationally or medicinally from cannabis, from the cannabis plant, from the indica, from the sativa, whatever it is that you're using. I mean, I'm, I, I'm just, you know, preaching to the choir here. It's, but to the greater world, like the, the gas station buyer of CBD, why should they buy that? Why should they trust that? And what's in there? And where was the hemp grown? And was it grown in heavy metals or in China or, yeah. or what? You yeah, know, there's no way of knowing and there's no white paper and there's no it goes back to rum. There are no rules in rum. Rum can be made from all different ingredients and most of them are pretty awful. Yeah. And the really fine rums are made with sugarcane juice, not molasses, because they have to they, they you have to, you know, do start the fermentation within four hours of it being, you know, cut down. Otherwise it sours. Otherwise it goes into this big slurry to make molasses, to make sugar. And it's like total poison. It's made with awful things. Oof. And that's, that's what most rum is on the market, but there are no rules. So we don't know how really awful it is. And not to say that all rum is awful, but the dichotomy that I'm drawing is that as in rum, there's a lot of awful rum. There's also a lot of awful everything else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I, I think that the minute, I always tell people, if you're really wedded to trying just pure CBD, you can get that at a dispensary where you know that it's been tested, where that's it's right. come from. It's pure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been tested. That's the most important. That part. is because yeah. you don't know what you're getting and, and it is a bio, huh? the, the plant is a bioaccumulator. So you're right. Oh, yeah. Heavy metals. Yeah. They're not checking to see what pesticides are being used for the stuff that's because it's industrial hemp and that's what people exactly. aren't getting. Exactly. Exactly. We don't get the conversation with that. Um, we used to have a sailboat, and I remember my stepfather hated the the nylon rope that they had on the boat, and and the the lines were incredibly expensive. I mean, it would be several thousand dollars to have enough line for the sailboat, 
and the nylon lines would break all the time because they, they were just not meant to hold against the salt water, they would deteriorate. The lines that allowed this world to be, uh, you know, discovered were made of hemp. Right. And hemp is why we have a world today, because the early sailboats, you know, the, the sailing vessels that went across the Atlantic, they didn't have nylon ropes. How did they make rope? They didn't have the technology for cotton. Cotton doesn't last long in salt water. No. It dissolves. The only thing that doesn't dissolve, in fact, gets stronger is hemp. And when a hemp line breaks, all you have to do is make four little cuts, wind it together like this, and it becomes stronger than when it was one piece. I... And that's why the world was discovered when it was. And what fueled the sailors was rum. Yeah. And, and, their tib- and what they put in the, in the, the rum casks to keep, the, keep it uh, dry was either tobacco or tobacco and cannabis. And the casks would keep, you know, the below deck was a, was a wet, awful place. So where do they keep things dry or quote unquote dry? And that would be in a cask, in an old rum cask. Yeah. And it would be used for ballast. Yeah. Otherwise, the ship, ship would flip right over. Uh, see, rum and cannabis. <laughs> I should write a book about that. You should. You totally should. Well, oh, yeah. we better get going. I like I said earlier. I could I could talk to you all day, and we should do this again. I would love for you to come back again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. Oh, you're fabulous. So were you. Thanks so much, Warren. So please, everybody, check out Warren's books. They're amazing, as is he, and he's he's. And it's Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics if you're looking for the cannabis-related book. But otherwise, he has all these wonderful mixology books. And also keep an eye out for his articles on Forbes. And I think you, you write for other places besides Forbes as well, uh, right? Not, a, not anymore. anymore. I used to write for a ton of them. But, you know, I got tired of being turned down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we can all understand that one. I, I, if I don't need to, be, to worry about someone, you know, telling me my stuff isn't good enough, I, I don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> I, I, I don't need that. You know, I'd, I'd much rather just write for for Forbes is great because I have the keys to the kingdom. You know, I, I know what my swim lane is. I love writing in it and I can put up the pieces as I see fit. And no one tells me, you know, aside if they want to fire me, I guess they, they could. But the, but the point is they really don't tell me what to write about. And I, uh, I do what I love. That's and it's awesome. Fun. That's awesome. Well, I always enjoy reading your articles. So thank you so much. And everybody, please join us for next month. We'll have another great guest. Um, stay safe, stay home, be compassionate, be kind. Thank you so much.